good morning, OCC. How you doing today? Uh, so good to have so many of you joining us here in person, so many of you joining us online today. Hey, listen, we are never here to glorify any person or any group of people, but uh, let's hear it for our worship team. Wasn't that a great, uh, my man, they got us going today. Yeah. All right, well, you know what today is, and I'm just wondering if there was a favorite Halloween mask or a Halloween costume you had as a kid. Maybe not as a kid, maybe as an adult, but for me, it was when I was a little kid and I was an Ewok. Uh, it was awesome. My buddy's mom, Return of the Jedi came out that year, and we were little. My buddy's mom sewed these costumes for us, and I mean, they were the authentic thing. We looked like Ewoks, and we were running around, and both of us, my buddy Doug and I, we, we each had different speech impediments, but together we had created like our own little language, so our little squeaky voices that nobody else could, we sounded like Ewoks too. It was awesome. It was great, and the costume was so fun, and the only problem was that year at Halloween, it was like 85 degrees, so we were about two houses into our little candy acquisition route before we were just a sweaty mess inside of those things. I'm pretty sure his mom had to burn them afterwards. And we kept jumping back into the car with the AC cranked, and then we'd run up to the next house, little Ewoks running up, you know, and I mean, it was just, that sounded more like R2-D2, I don't know. But have you ever wondered why we wear costumes, why we wear masks on Halloween? It was about 1,200 years ago, and the church created a holy day, where we get holiday from, a holy day called All Hallows Day. Hallow just means holy. And so it was a day to honor the saints and martyrs. Today, some refer to it as All Saints Day. It's November 1st. And it was a day to honor those who had lived holy lives. But during that era of history, there were some who believed that going into that day, the night before on All Hallows Eve, or as we call it now, Halloween, that the souls and the demons destined for hell would roam the earth the night before the saint's day seeking vengeance trying to get one last strike at the living and so they would the living the people who believe this some of them would wear costumes of the saints they would dress as the saints trying to disguise their own identity in case they had wronged a demon somehow they were trying to confuse the demons or they thought maybe if they think i'm that holy of a person the demons will leave me alone others said no no no, that's not going to work so they dressed as scary demons trying to scare off the real demons either way these people were wearing masks to try to protect themselves out of fear they were protecting themselves from evil Now, what I think is unique about Halloween is it's really like the only day during the year that we admit to wearing a mask, that we admit to pretending to be someone we're not. But from our earliest age, all of us learned to wear a mask. We learned what was and what was not acceptable, what was and was not approved by the important people in our lives parents or other authorities or the people we wanted to care for us, we wanted to love us, we learned that there were certain parts of us that just weren't really okay. And so we began wearing masks. You may have learned, depending on your particular experience, your circumstance, you may have learned that maybe, maybe your language was, I'm too intense, so I have to pretend to be softer and gentler. Or, Or maybe You were too restrained and too passive, so you had to pretend to be more assertive and more aggressive for others. Maybe 
It was that you were too quiet, so you had to fake being a little louder and a little more outgoing. Or maybe you were too gregarious and exhausted the people in your world, so you had to pretend to be more subdued and passive. You were too fill-in-the-blank, and so you learned how to fake it to be what others would approve of, what others would accept from you. Now, I think it's interesting to notice that for some the thing that you learned was not okay might be precisely the thing that somebody else in their experience was told they needed to be more of. It's all so dependent upon our circumstances and who it was that was influencing us. And we all know, too, that there are parts of us that are just not okay. There's that sin side, the greedy, lustful, self-pleasing, self-loathing, when at all costs, the sin stuff, right? The list is long. We know that part of ourselves is not okay. And so we've learned how to hide that, how to mask that, how to keep it hidden. But we've also learned that there are other parts of us that are not okay. And it's a different kind of not okay. It's not the sinful kind of not okay, like the bad thing. It's just, it's not okay in the concept of this isn't, this isn't right. It's not what God had intended. Life is not the way it should be, that part of ourself. The, the, the part that's hurt and wounded and broken. The depressive, anxious, compulsive, lonely, and again, the list would go on that part of ourself. It's not sinful necessarily, maybe because of sin, ours or somebody else's. It's the part that's just hurt and wounded. But We've learned that that part isn't okay to others. They don't really want to deal with that. So we keep that part hidden as well. The sin and the shame, we just put it behind a mask. Now, today, there are some of you who are going to wonder, you know, hey, is the preacher going to preach from the Bible? Yes, we'll get there. But just give me some time to get to it. Because we do want to talk a little bit about just the reality of the world. See, in, in 1955, you had these psychologists, Joseph Luft and Harry Ingham, who developed a tool that I think is helpful in discovering our true identity and getting behind how we mask ourselves. It's called the Johari Window, or the Johari Window. It just comes from combining their two names, Joseph and Harry, Joe Harry. And it's not an expressly Christian tool, but it does speak of biblical truth. And here at OCC, we believe that if something is true, then God owns it because God is the author of all truth. So if it's true, he owns it no matter what human has tried to put their stamp on it, it's God's. And so there is truth to this. And so if we look at the Jahari window, you have these four quadrants. And this is all based on what is known to me and it's what is not known to me and what's known to you and what's not known to you. So the common ground is what's that if we look at my life, this is what I know, and this is what you know. That's the common. This, this is the fits everybody sees. This is the one you know. But then there's the blind spot. What you know about me, but I don't see yet. The, the part that is just outside of my frame of reference, that everyone else knows about me, but I don't see it. And then there's the mystery that neither of us know. Only God knows the mystery part, and he's got something for us there. But then there's the mask. The part of my life that I know, the, the sin side that I keep tucked away, the, the shameful stuff I keep tucked away, the, the woundedness that just doesn't seem to be okay that I keep tucked away. And I know it, but you don't. And, and this mask, that's where we're going to spend some time this morning. Because we've all learned to mask well. This mask is this desire to preserve an image of ourselves. It's a way that we relate to the world. 
that we have learned is in some way acceptable. In some way, it's safe for us. It's our way of coping. It's how we think of ourselves and how we want others to see us. It's true, but only partially true because it's a mask. It's not totally true. And, and we get ourselves into trouble, we get ourselves into danger because we can begin to wrap this in as the whole of who we are. It's how we want others to see us. Maybe it's because we're fit or we're smart or we're savvy or we're spiritual or we're sensitive or we're loving or whatever it might be. And it's probably a combination of those things. It's the image we project that we want others to see us as. And the problem is we can get wrapped up into thinking that that's really who we are. The core of the mask is this belief that my value depends on what I have or on what I do or on what you would think of me. And so that's where we land with this. And this is what leads us to ignore the less acceptable parts of ourselves. This is what leads us to ignore the part of ourselves that others might see as too playful or too prideful or, or too risk-taking or too cautious or too whatever. And so we, we tuck that part away and we hide that and we pretend that part's not there. We learn how to deny it. We refuse to face that side of ourselves. We mask. That maybe it's the broken or wounded part of ourselves that we try to deny. And so we pretend that it doesn't exist. We pretend we don't have it. We just learn how to cope with it. We pretend that it's not there. But when we deny or we ignore these things, they don't go away. When we tuck it away behind the mask, we lock it in the closet, hoping it just goes away. But they never do. In fact, locked away there beyond our awareness, they don't lose strength. They actually gain strength. It's like mold that grows in the dark. It just keeps growing. And it gets more influence and more power over us. These things shape us as much as any other part of our lives. And this stuff begins to have this effect on us. It begins to shape us and lead us. The problem is when we don't give it a seat at the table, it grows in ways beyond what we're fully aware of. And then it changes us. In fact, the parts of us that we want to avoid the most are the parts that always become the most tyrannical in our lives. Acting as a dictator behind the scenes. Operating beyond our awareness. And so I wonder, friend, what part of your life are you afraid to let other people see? What part of your life are you afraid to let God see? What part of your life are you afraid to admit exists? The part that you don't want to deal with. And we all have those parts. And we've fallen, become masters of illusion, even to the point of being masters of delusion, where we get so wrapped up in this masking, we wear the mask for so long that we forget that the mask is indeed pretend. We have denied these other parts of ourselves, and we we start to confuse our true reality, our true identity for this version of ourselves, this ideal version that we wish were true. And the problem with this comes where if I, if I only acknowledge certain parts of, our, uh, of myself, like if I only acknowledge the, the strong part of me, but I deny the fact that there is some deep insecurity in there, that there are these weak parts of me, if I only identify with the strong part, then I have to pretend I have to have this illusion that I'm always strong, that strong is my identity. Not just that I can be strong or I have strong moments. If I deny the fact that there's a deceitful side of me, that the addiction that I had to overcome 
brought with it a whole lot of deceit throughout the years. And if I, if I deny that part, then, then I live this illusion of purity. I, I live this illusion of integrity. If I'm unwilling to acknowledge the prideful part of myself, then, then I will live this illusion of false humility. And eventually we start to bring other people into this with us, right? Our friend circle, we keep up the image and maybe there's something going on in that circle, but we, we hide the ugly stuff that we don't want other people to see. We, we get married and maybe have kids and then that all gets brought into this, this bigger masking and this protecting of ourselves, this image. And we, we don't want anybody to think that something could be wrong there because that person, those people and family are associated to us and like there's no sin in the Fitz home, right? <laughs> As if. I mean, as a preacher, there can't be anything wrong there. Oh, trust me. They just hang out with us on the way to church sometime. You'll see. There's plenty of it. But you laugh because it's true for you too. I know that, right? Like, I've, I've seen some of y'all pull in a lot. It, it happens, right? But we get out of the car, and we're like, are we going to be real? No, we're going to fake it. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Great. Yeah, I'm glad to be at church. This morning was awesome. The cinnamon rolls were done on time. It was all good, right? Like, we, we fake it, Right? And so we get brought into this illusion. We bring others into illusion. We have this illusion for the family. And, and what we're afraid is that if somebody sees the crack, if somebody begins to peer behind and see that maybe things aren't the way we try to pretend they are, then, then we're embarrassed. Then our facade, and if one block falls and the whole wall might fall on, and then they're going to see everything. We, so we get defensive and we deny it and, and we can be angry and we can just push it aside because we don't want to deal with those things. And we have learned so well how to pretend. How to mask. We, we've learned well how to, how to brand ourselves. To the point where our masks have become this reality for us and we have become our lies. And we live this illusion to the point of being confused over what is and isn't true of ourselves. So far from what God would have for us. And, and this mask that we once began wearing... We once began wearing to cope with the stress and the problems and the challenges of life. This mask that we once began wearing so that we could be loved, so that we could be known by the people who mattered most to us. This mask has now become like a prison, like a, like a medieval torture device locked around our heads. And the worst prison part of the mask is that we have to live this illusion. We just got to keep up the facade. And it's painfully exhausting. And it wears us out. Because we have answered the question. If they know me, if they really know me, the real me, will they accept me? Will they love me? And we've answered that with an emphatic no. And so we just keep wearing the mask. Now, tied to the mask on the Jahari window, let's go to the next slide there. Is that the blind spot is actually connected to the mask. Like, do you remember the board game Clue? And if you were in the study, there was a secret passageway from the study to the kitchen. And that's kind of what the blind spot is for the mask, if we look at this thing through a spiritual lens. That when somebody else starts talking about the parts of our lives that we think we don't see, usually that's tied in some way, shape, or form to what we're actually trying to hide. And it might be this, this kind of secret passageway. It might be this roundabout kind of loop. But usually when they start speaking into that, we get defensive, we get embarrassed, we start denying, we, we want to push away from that. One, because we just don't like people telling us what's not right in our lives. <laughs> 
But the other part is we're afraid that they're going to see more. They're, they're going to they're expose this, and they're going to expose, and the whole facade's just going to fall down, and, and we don't know what to do with that. So we protect the illusion, and we protect the image, and we protect the mask. And here's why this is so important. Because spiritual growth and human growth are kind of on the same course. And our spiritual human growth will not move forward as long as we keep these things hidden. We may grow in certain ways. We may grow to a certain level. But we're going to stunt our growth. It's like feeding a baby too much sugar and giving them coffee when they're an infant. Like they're just not going to grow right. They need the the milk, right? They, They need the nourishment and the substance. And so our growth is stunted until, uh, until we invite people to peer behind the mask, uh, until we invite people to look behind the scenes, until we begin to trust other people. Now, I don't think that this means we grab a loudspeaker and we tell everybody, here's how screwed up I am. Like, that's just not healthy, right? Like, don't go on the street corner and do that. If you are in a group of people and you're like, hey, you need to know the deepest, darkest junk in my life, it's called oversharing. Don't do that. If you've done that, acknowledge, oh, I've done that. I probably should not do that in the future, okay? That happens. Some people, you're, you're more prone to do that. <clears throat> but it is super healthy to have two or three trusted people who we let behind the scenes. This is why grouping is so important for us. This is why here at OCC, we're going to challenge you every week. If you're not in a group, get in a group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group because you need those people. And, and the first night, you're probably not going to be like, oh, here's my junk, but you get to know him. And as you begin to journey with him, you begin to see, oh man, this group is pretty safe because these people are as screwed up as I am. <laughs> like a different way, but they're still messed up. Like these people don't have all their stuff together. And, and you begin to like let them speak into your blind spots. You begin to peel back the mask just a little bit at a time. Oh, here's an issue I have. Hey, here's, here's an area where I'm, I'm feeling pretty insecure on a regular basis. Oh, here's an area where I'm tempted to sin on a regular basis. Oh, here's an area where I just don't have it. And we begin to invite others into that. And then they begin to help us move forward. They begin praying with us. They begin speaking into those parts. They begin to speak encouragement and speak challenge. And they begin to walk beside us. And and also we realize we're beginning to live what God would have for us. It's a daring move to remove the mask and to let other people into that part of our life. But it's so important because you'll never become who God has intended you to become until you begin to do that, until you become you and let others see the true you. You see, reality can never be changed until it's embraced. We first have to come as ourselves, as a true us, and embrace the reality of our brokenness and our messiness and our hurtness. I don't even know if hurtness is a word, but it is now. And we got to address that before we can move beyond that. Like we'll never move beyond our sin until we bring it into the light. We'll never move beyond our hurts. We'll never find healing until we acknowledge it's there. And this, this is so important for us because when we begin to do this, then we begin to see that the common ground gets bigger. We'll go to that next slide. The common ground, the, the true common ground, the mask gets smaller and those parts of us that were hidden come into the common ground and we find that we can be known and we can be loved and we can move forward beyond that and people speak in our blind spots and our blind spot gets smaller and our mask gets smaller and the mystery gets smaller because the mystery begins to unfold as we move from the common ground into the unknown that's only what God knows about us and we begin to discover
discover the life God would have for us, the life he intended for us all along. And we begin to lean into this and say, oh, this is what God has made me for. But only once we start to get real with what's behind the scenes. Jesus addressed this in a story he told. Luke records it in chapter 18. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and so they scorned everyone else. That's one of the things that masking can lead us to do, right? As we begin to look down upon others because we have to make them look worse so we can look better. We have to point out their flaws so people won't see ours. When Jesus says, these two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a Pharisee, like the highest level religious elite person. Looked like he had it all together. The religious person. And the other was a despised tax collector. Why was the tax collector so despised? Well, because Rome had conquered the Jewish people. And one of the most oppressive things the Romans did was tax the stink out of the Jews. And so they had Jewish tax collectors who would take the taxes from their own people, give it to the Romans, and the Romans would then give them part of that back. Like the tax collector was banking big, living large off of selling out his own people. So of course he's despised by his own people. So the Pharisee stood by himself because nobody else could stand next to him. He was so righteous. And he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, like the cheaters and the sinners, the adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector over there. No, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income, God. I got it all together. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance daring to not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I, I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this sinner, and not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. This word justified, to help us understand that word a little bit better, it, kind of a goofy little cliche, but think of it this way. Just as if I'd never sinned at all. Being made right with God. Like your sin is no longer in between you and God. It's no longer wrecking or distorting that relationship. And the Pharisee was not justified, but the tax collector was. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, Jesus says. Now, this passage says a lot about humility and pride, but I think it also says a lot about wearing the mask. That this Pharisee could not see beyond his mask. He was so afraid to have the reality of his inner world exposed. that Even he as a Pharisee had sin. Couldn't let that shine through. So he had to shine the light on somebody else who was obviously worse than he was. Somebody whose sin was worse than his. They sinned differently, you know, but they sinned worse. And so he pointed that over there. And here's what happens with our illusion, with our masked self, is that when we wear the mask, it distorts our reality of God, of others, and even of ourselves. And, and so this Pharisee has to see himself as better to protect the facade, to protect the mask. He has to see himself as better than others. And he has to have other people see him that way too. But until we're willing to accept the reality of our sin, the ugly reality of our sin, we're, we're never going to move forward from it. The, the Pharisee forgot what the prophet Isaiah, the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament, he forgot what Isaiah had taught, that we are all infected and every one of us impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, 
They are nothing but filthy rags. Isaiah says, when all of us come to God and we bring the best of what we have to God, the best we have is a filthy rag. Now, this is is a pretty intense language that he uses. The Hebrew text tells us what kind of rags these are. We don't often translate it into the English because, I don't know, we're too soft for it. The Hebrew says that our best deeds are nothing but dirty menstrual rags on the altar to God. That is strong language, but that is a healthy reminder that even our best deeds to God, even our most righteous acts are still tainted with our sin. Like that's what we bring. The tax collector understood this. The tax collector stood far off and with contrition and humility, he prayed this prayer, have mercy on me, Lord, the sinner. We would all do well to pray that prayer often, daily, numerous times throughout the day. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Oh, I see that person over there, but God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Oh, I see how I'm messed up there, but God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Father, have mercy. Son, have mercy. Spirit, have mercy. Trinity, have mercy on me, the sinner. Not forgetting other people and their sins, but not thinking we are better than them either. See, friends, we come to God as nothing more than that. A simple sinner in need of grace. All of us, every single one of us, are but a beggar at the foot of God's door, pleading for mercy. All of us come as nothing more than sinners. And my daily experience still, decades into this following Jesus thing, my daily experience still confirms that too often I listen to the serpent and not the Savior. That I still sow my own fig leaves of concealment. That that I still come hiding before my God. That there's still something in me that is drawn to the darkness instead of the light, that there's still something in me that would reject the reality that I'm made in the image of a holy God, and so instead I reject that image and pursue so much less. And and it would be scary to confess that to you if I didn't know that you were right there with me. That's who we are, all of us, sinners, And we must begin there. We must begin with the sad truth that I am a sinner. Not just that I have sinned, but I am a sinner. Not just that my sins are slight and insignificant compared to, but my sins are nasty. I must confront the dark, gross, dirty, ugly reality of the depravity of my sinfulness. And I must see sin as more than just what I do. It is part of who I am. To be human is to be sinful. To be human is to be broken in the very depths of who we are. Fatally flawed to the point that we will either choose a mask to hide it or we'll choose to pursue a holy God who can forgive it and heal it. And so we come. 
And we need this. We, we need to focus more than just on the specific sins. We need to call out the specific sins for sure in our lives. But more than that, we also need to look at the bigger picture of where do my sins take me? When is my besetting sin? Are there two or three categories that kind of lead me astray? Because when we identify those, we can begin to get under them to the root. Uh, if you think of the, the seven deadly sins, things like envy and gluttony and greed and lust and wrath and laziness and anger and pride. The, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and addressed his propensity to turn to pride, where he looked at himself and he said, of all the things, of anyone who could boast, I could boast more than anyone else. But Paul writes to him and he says, listen, I was born into the right family, in the right religion. I was in the right part of the religion, the right tribe of that religion. And I did all the right things. I had the right schooling and the right teachers and the right responses. And I learned to do it all right. And I was always right. I was so right. I was never wrong until I realized that all my rightness was wrong. And Paul said, all of that, all of that that I thought made me okay, made me righteous, is nothing more than dung to be flushed down the toilet. That's the language Paul uses. Actually, he uses the strongest word for dung in that passage. If it's hitting you, you're three-fourths of the way there. Paul, Isaiah, use very strong language for what our righteousness is if it comes from us. So our righteousness can't come from us. It's never found in our deeds. It's never found in us. When writing to his friend and student, Timothy, Paul says this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen, friend, if you're here and if you're listening online and you have never accepted that truth, that Jesus came to save you from your sin, today is your day. Because you'll never move beyond it. And you'll never find the life you're looking for. And you'll never find the peace that you so desire. And you'll never find the healing that you need until you surrender it all to Jesus. And Paul says, we all need to accept that. And listen, I believe the whole of scripture. I believe the Bible to be true. But this is one part of the Bible that I just got to call Paul's bluff on. Because he says, Jesus came to save sinners and I'm the worst sinner of them all. But Paul, I'm calling your bluff because I look in the mirror every day. And Brother Paul, I think I got you beat there. But I love that we get to say with Paul, but God. But God had mercy on me. What beautiful truth. What beautiful truth that God has mercy on us. See, we will never know the reckless, radical, redemptive, restorative power of God's love for us until we come to God just as we are, as a sinner in need of grace, as a beggar for mercy. In all of our brokenness, and all of our hurting, and all of our mess, until we come like that. You see, that's the you that God persistently loves. Not the prettied up, clean virgin, not the mask, but the you behind it all. Now, I don't think we should base our whole identity on the fact that we're sinners. That, that, that is just as broken as anything else. You're a sinner, but that's only part of the story. Because you are a sinner who is deeply loved by God. And that makes all the difference. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, reminded them of this powerful truth. He said, for God made Christ, who never ever sinned, to be the offering for our sin." so that we could be made right with God through Christ. To help us understand this verse, I think it's good to look at it in kind of a visual form. So we have these two pictures. Next slide, I think. Next slide. 
picture of this. There we go. So Jesus was righteous. Totally righteous, perfect in his righteousness. No sin at all. And then there's us. Sinful. Full in our sin. No righteousness at all. And then God does what only God is capable of doing. It does the great divine switcheroo. That's the theological term for it. Switcheroo. All right? Jesus switches places with us. Jesus becomes the offering of sin for us. That's the point of the cross, that he takes a cross meant for us, a cross that our sin built. And he takes that cross so that we could take on his righteousness. So our identity, once we're in Christ, once we surrender to Christ, and once we're walking with Christ, there's no more that we are simply sinners, but that we are the ones made righteous through Jesus. And church, that's really good news. That we get to wear the righteousness of Christ. Because Christ took our sinfulness on himself at the cross. And so we see this to be true. That until we confront and admit the deep sinfulness in our lives, we'll never move beyond it. And until we confront and admit the deep woundedness in our lives, we'll never heal from it. But when we do, and when we expose those things, we bring those things into the open, and, and we invite others to join us on that journey, and, and, and we get those people that we can trust to help us move forward in that, then we get to see what God has for us. And, and it's precisely in the moment of our sin and our shame when we must turn to God. That, and that's the time that we want to turn to him least. Right? When I've messed everything up more than I think I could have messed up, when I'm messed up in the same way again for the millionth time and I'm tired of my sin, and when I'm, when I'm just wrecked by my sin or I'm just wrecked by my woundedness and I'm just crying out, and that's a time when we least want to turn to God because we're most ashamed and we're most afraid, and that's precisely when we need to turn to him because when we turn to God in our sin and shame is when Jesus leads us from our sin and shame into his righteousness. And when we do that, and this doesn't just stop once you become a believer in Jesus. This is the ongoing process of letting Christ be formed in you and living into the reality of who you are as the beloved of God. That when we lean into this, that what this means is every day, the closer I get to God, the more I will realize how far from him I am. That daily, as I approach the throne of God, I realize the depths of my sinfulness, the terribleness of my sin, but daily as I approach the throne of God, I come face to face with how amazing a Savior I have. That every day, as we move closer and closer to God, that the longer I journey with God, I become more and more aware of just how much I don't deserve it. Of how much I don't deserve His mercy his grace, his forgiveness of how much I don't deserve to be his beloved. And yet, God shows mercy to us. And we are the beloved of Christ. So friend, know these truths about you. That you are deeply sinful beyond what you would ever want anyone else to see. You know that. You are deeply sinful. But never forget that even more you are deeply loved by a holy God. And if you will begin to remove the mask and let his mystery unfold for you, you will find more joy and more peace with him.
than you'll ever find from trying to keep up that illusion you've been wearing. Would you stand and pray with me, church? God, we stand in your presence, not because we deserve to stand in your presence, but simply because Christ has made it able, has made it possible for us to do so. And so God, our prayer today is simple. Have mercy on us, the sinners. And God, for those who have linked their life to you, who have claimed you as Savior and Lord, we praise you with a simple praise. God, thank you that your mercy covers us and we are forgiven now and forever. God, may this always and ever be our prayer. We pray it in the name of our beautiful Savior Jesus. Amen.